0: Welcome to the Pearl Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message blesses you in a way that is inspiring, encouraging, and transformational. For more information about our church, please go to thepearlchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, I remember, uh, I remember when I was 21, I was 21 years old when I became a Christian, when I, when I really dedicated my life to the Lord. I had, a, I had a time as a teenager where I was introduced to church and I was introduced to God. Uh, at that time, that church that I had been invited to was very, very, very legalistic. They were just very tough. Um, but the grace of God actually uh, touched my life. And then I had to go on a journey for about six years. And in that journey, um, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my mistakes and who I was and how I was made. And then at the age of 21, when I rededicated my life, God put me in a church. And I'd never really been in a church like that. Uh, people have a lot of opinions about church. People think a lot of things about the house of God. There are a lot of books written on church. I remember when we were, when we were getting ready to plant the church, I went out and bought every single book I could find on church planting. And then I started to go through them, and I, I have a little system on how I highlight, how I take notes, and I'm going through each of the books. And then I realized after a while that a lot of the books, most of them were all saying the same thing over and over again, and it became very overwhelming. And then I remember one day in my office, I just shut all the books, I shoved them off my desk, and I put my head down and I began to pray. I actually began to cry, and I said to Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for putting me in a family. Because at the end of the day, the church is a lot of things. The church is a business. The church is a, is a voice, but the church is a family. And I I remember uh, at 21 being set in a family. Now the Bible says that God takes the individuals and the lonely and he sets them in a family. Doesn't say he sets them in a business. Doesn't say he sets them in a building. It doesn't say he takes the lonely and puts them in a, in a 15 passenger van with a bunch of teenagers, which he did to me for about 18 years. But, but the Lord said, God says, he wants to take you and put you in a family. Now, when you get put into a family and you've never had a family, the family is uncomfortable. Me learning family was one of the most difficult things that I ever went through. Because I didn't know how to relate to a family. I didn't have a lot of church etiquette. I said all the wrong things. At all the wrong times, does anybody relate? It's like the first time I went to see my wife in the symphony. You guys don't know that she played, she played in the symphony. She was, uh, she was a violinist in the, in the symphony. The first time I went to see her at the, at the symphony, I'd never been to a symphony before, I've told this story, but I remember in the middle of it uh, thinking, why is nobody clapping? At the, end of the, at the end of the song, nobody clapped, and I thought it was so rude. I was in love with the violinist. So in the middle, I just started clapping. And I looked at like 2,000 people like, what is wrong with you people? And some lady just turns around and shushed me. I'd never been shushed like that before. I'm still working the shush. There was no etiquette. There's no etiquette for me in the church. I didn't know where to sit, didn't know who to hang out with. But when God puts you in a family, there's a process that begins to take place that will absolutely transform your life if you allow it to happen. Because I didn't have a family growing up. The church family became my family. Now, just because I'd been homeless, just because I'd been in a few fights and maybe even spent a couple nights behind bars, you didn't know that. Um, As far as you know, that didn't happen. Just because I'd done a few drugs and had a few, you know, my life as as a young man was difficult, it was tough. But when God put me in a family, he began to transform me. Now, Jesus is the transforming power. God does it all, but it's the people that actually begin to transform you. And how many of you know, it's easy to be alone. Sometimes it's hard to be in a family, but it's the family. It's the house. It's the house of God that brings another level and another aspect of what God wants to do in our lives. He brings it through the people that he puts you around. God places everyone in a family. And he puts people into a house and into a spiritual home. And it may be difficult for some of you this morning that I've been here while I don't know anybody yet. It's okay, You, you will meet people. You will become comfortable in a sense, you will become comfortable with the people that are around you because the love of Jesus will supersede our, our, our weird church stuff or our insecurity and the love of Jesus will walk us through the middle of it and we will have a family. It's a, We're a church family. And so when we talk about heart for the house... We're talking about what happens in the process. When one day you wake up and you realize, no, my family has a call. My family has a job to do in the city. My church is is, is a transforming part of my life, whether it's been easy for you and you've been in church your whole life, or whether you grew up like me and church was difficult for you because church was hard for me, but I had a heart for the house because the grace of God began to flow into my life in a new way. I didn't know anything about the Bible. You know, you've heard some of these stories. This isn't even in my message, so I'm going to have to crank through this, but, but I didn't know anything about the Bible. You know, I got 12 year olds sitting next to me in church, flipping through the Bible like they've memorized the encyclopedia, you know? Jesus and Paul and David, and I didn't know the difference between any of them. David slew a bear one weekend, then he slew a lion the next weekend. And I was like, is it a bear or is it a lion? Because somebody's, t- somebody's making stuff up. And then some little 12-year-old next to me says, it was both. <laughs> Shut up. I'm 20-something. You're 12. There's no etiquette. There was no Bible. But there was passion. There was the call of God. There was the belief that God's hand was on my life for something bigger than myself. There's a reason why God puts us in a family. There's a reason why God puts us in a home. And when I talk about heart for the house, this year, I, I, all, I'm, all I'm saying to you is that we have, been, we have gone from a group to a family. We've gone from a family to a church. We've gone from a church to a movement. We've gone from a movement to a force, and that is all because of Jesus. I'm, 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 here, to, I'm here to tell you tonight. I'm, tonight, today. Sorry, tonight's youth services, PYP, BYC, MYPD. <laughs> I'm here to say to you that we're not gonna settle. You have to be careful when you talk smack in the microphone to the devil, but I wanna say something to you this morning. I'm putting the devil on notice that God's moving in Denver, Colorado. We're not the church, we're one of the churches. There are just moments where you come together and God begins to move. And I, I, I do not feel pressure. I want you to understand something. I do not feel pressure this morning about what God's doing. Because I'm not doing it. God's doing it. See, all I am is a, a catalyst for what God wants to do. That's all I am. If you have a job or a position, you sit somewhere. You're just, you're just there. You're just the person that God wants to use. Where you're at, he wants to work through you. That's all we are. I remember when God when God was I had someone talk to me about youth ministry this last week, and they they knew our conferences right, and they're still going on. There's ten thousand kids packing up rooms this January, and, and Donna and I started with that with a few kids in a back room. Before the curtains would open, I would sit behind the curtain and in the dark, and I would bow my head and I would I would cry and I would pray and I would say, Lord, I pray that we would leave unnoticed and that Your name would be lifted up. During, during those years, I, I, just, it's not about me. It's about God. What can I do for a generation? How can I bless a generation? How can you use me in a generation? How can I be the, be somebody today that there's, there's five, eight, nine, 10,000 kids out here. How can I just go away unnoticed and have you lifted up so that they can know you in their life, not me? They need to know you. If they know you, it's all going to work out. If they know me, I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to mess it up. But if they know you, it's all going to work. See? So we're just a catalyst. I'm not under pressure today. I, I, this, this year's been such a good year. Come on, how many of you love Jesus? You know, I'm out here on Friday night and there's a, there's a whole group of people in PYP out there. I, I, I'm having like this old Kirk Franklin song in my head right now. I'm going to say PYP and then you're going to say, Yeah, you know me. Are you ready? <laughs> PYP. Okay, see, I just had to do that. I heard it. I actually heard it at the coffee shop. Um, and so. There's something so wonderful about what's happening, but God's placed you in a home and he's placed you in a family. And and whether that's easy for you or difficult for you, come on, that's family. And we're on a journey together and that journey's going to be amazing. And we're going to do some damage to the kingdom of hell. Can somebody say amen? Now here's what I want to do because I just used up half my time. I want you to turn to John chapter six this morning and I want to, I want to do a part of a message. Now I've done a part of this before, four years ago. Uh, standing right here in this pulpit when we first moved into this to this um, auditorium, into this building. But what I realized at that time was that this message, which I will continue, this is almost like a part two, but that message has become a life message for me. It's not just a sermon. There are four or five messages that I've had to work through that have become life messages for me. One of them is this John chapter six story about the loaves and the fish. And I, I want us as a church to embrace something that is both spiritual, doctrinal, theological, but also is, it is driven primarily through our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a lot of places where you can hear some great messages and great inspirational stuff about, about giving or, or, or the purpose of it, but Scripture has a very unique take on giving and that is that it is better to give than to receive it's a cultural it's a kingdom cultural thing it's part of the kingdom of god and th- the follow up to that is that that when we give that something very unique takes place first something happens in us because really at the end of the day god's trying to work on us but then something happens with our giving Now, I'm going to read you the verse. I'm going to move through this as quickly as I can. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to stop and we're going to take our heart for the house commitments this year. And what we're going to do is there are envelopes in your seats with little cards. And some of you have actually brought yours with you today. And I appreciate that. But if you are committing this year to give to the church above and beyond the tithe, you're going to give it an offering to what we're doing, then I want to pray for you. And we're going to have you come down. We're going to have you bring your offering in the envelope or the commitment that you're making. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that as you give, that something breaks, something breaks open and breaks free in your life and in your finances. Okay. Now, John chapter 6. I'm going to start this morning in verse 5, and most of you know the story. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? Now, in the Questions of Jesus series, this is the final question that we're going to deal with, and it's one of the most profound. Jesus asked the question, where are we going to get bread to feed these people? And remember, he asked the question, not because he doesn't know the answer, but he's trying to see if we know the answer. He's trying to to create something in us that drives us into the spiritual supernatural as opposed to the natural and the convenient. So he asked the question. He says, hey, everybody, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? It's one of the most profound questions that Jesus asks in Scripture. And in the Gospel of John, it's one of about seven questions that he asks. Because this is one of the major signs in the New Testament that Jesus was God. Jesus makes a giving moment important in the life of the believer because he reveals himself as God to those people. There are seven signs in, in John, and I think this might be one of the most profound next to the, the life of uh, Lazarus being risen from the dead. This is one of the seven signs of the Gospel of John. Where are we going to get food for these people to eat? He asked, and he asked it only to test him because he already had in mind what he was gonna do. Verse seven, Philip answered, well, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, uh, his Simon Peter's brother spoke up and he said, he said, hey, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they gonna go amongst so many? And Jesus said, well, why don't we just have them all sit down? There was plenty of grass in that place, and they all sat down. There was about 5,000 men. Now, you, if you know the story, and I, I've done a little of this, but but there was 5,000 men, and in those days, they didn't count the children or the, or the women. So when you read and you hear the story of the feeding of the 5,000, there were not 5,000 people there. There was somewhere in the neighborhood of 15,000 to 20,000 people. So the idea that he fed 5,000 actually really shrinks the miracle. They were only counting the men. And Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Isn't that incredible? As much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all gotten enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather what's left over, let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, everyone say the sign, right? The sign that he performed. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now that last verse is very important theologically. We won't get there, but it's who, who, what kind of a Jesus again? are are we looking for? And so Jesus sees the people coming and he turns to Philip and he says, hey, Philip, where are we gonna get food for all of these people to eat? Number one, Jesus sees the need and the supply at the same time. Jesus sees the end from the beginning. Now, this is really important because if you have a need, he also sees the supply. If if you're, if you want to believe for people to find Christ, he sees the harvest and the harvester at the same time. He sees the beginning from the end. And so he already knows how it is that he's going to meet the need. Now, if he already knows the answer to the question, why is he asking the question? Well, the next verse says that he was going to test them, but specifically he was trying to highlight the need. Jesus highlights the need, not so that you can feel like, wow, I have such a huge need, but because he wants us to to see that our need is not the issue. He wants to highlight the need because there's a difference between, if you remember, a a need and an inheritance. And if we're only focused on the need, then we never really understand the power of the inheritance because there's some things that are that are available to us, not because we can do it ourselves, but because we're a child of God. If you're a son of God and a daughter of God, you have an inheritance. Sometimes need is the greatest hindrance to understanding inheritance because we get so focused on what we don't have, we forget about what we do have. God has more for us than you could ever imagine. He has a world, the Bible says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hill. You think God can't take care of that? You think God can't help us out and and open up the windows of heaven? He can. But if we're focused on the need and not who Christ is, then we're missing the power of the inheritance. See, so he says, hey, look. He says, how are we gonna get food for these people to eat? Philip goes, I don't know. And he asked the question to highlight something because he wants to compare and contrast the need and the supply. And then he goes on to say, he says in verse six, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was gonna do. Number two, Jesus has a purpose for every test. Has anyone here ever been through a test? All right. My children are in their testing season right now. And they come home and normally... They're perfectly pleasant. You know, they're perfectly ple- pleasant as teenagers are. I love my kids. But during testing time, they become testy. They don't want to talk to me. I feel rejected. They, they want food, and they want to be left alone. Is that what it's come to as a father? I'm here to feed you and to leave you alone. And they go into the room and they study. Their adrenaline is up. They're a little more tired than they usually are. Has anyone here ever been through a test? If you've been through a test in your marriage, you, you have, it's, it's impossible to quantify how much energy and emotion and thought it takes to, to walk through tests in a marriage. If you've been through tests in your finances, there's, there's no way to quantify the, the depth and the feeling of what it means to take a family or a marriage through difficult financial times if you've lost a family member if, if you've had sickness in your home tests were not pass and fail to Jesus he didn't test you to pass or fail my kids have some tests that are pass and failed and that's not why Jesus tests us Jesus only allows us to be tested so that he can reveal himself Jesus wants to reveal himself in the middle of the test so that we can go from need to supply. Why is giving so amazing? Giving is amazing because it takes us from need to supply. It moves our thinking from what don't we have to what do we have. Jesus wants to reveal himself in the middle of our test. That's why he tests us. My daughter, Tessa, I asked permission to tell this story this morning. Uh, because, you know, you have to be careful as the pastor talking about your kids all the time, but my, my daughter went through a test. My middle daughter, Tessa, who is preparing this morning for, for trunk or treat. Now, now, parents, please bring your kids to trunk or treat. There's thousands of pieces of candy and trunks of cars in our parking lot on Halloween night. It's safe, and it's, uh, it's, um, it's totally a sugar overload. That's my gift to you, okay? But my daughter, my daughter, uh, when she turned 14, She knew that she would someday want to buy a car and so she started to babysit. And she started babysitting actually at about the age of 13 to save some money. Maybe it'll be for a car, but then she started to play music. My daughter wanted a bass. My daughter had a three-quarter bass. That means it's like it's three-quarters the size of a normal bass. It was her little bass that she had when she was a little girl. And as she grew up, that little bass, it almost looked like she was playing a bass ukulele for a while, right? And it broke and it had problems and it was never working. And she thought, well, maybe I'll save till I'm 17 and be able to buy a car. Or maybe I'll get a base. So she just started babysitting every weekend. And, and that girl saved for over two years. And she put a um, maybe between 1000 thousand and two thousand and $2,000 in her bank account at the age of 14 and 15, working hard and saving and giving and tithing. And then when it came time for Heart for the House, just uh, a year ago, the Lord spoke to her. Now, as a parent, you're looking at your daughter and the, and you're, when you're, when your daughter comes to you at 16 and says, Hey, the Lord spoke to me. what did the Lord say? The Lord said, give all my money to heart for the house. But wait a minute. You're 16 years old and now keep in mind, I'm the pastor of this church. But when your own child who is for, whos who has been saving since the age of 14, wants to give all the money away in her bank account to the church. You have a choice to make as a parent. Donna and I went upstairs and we started debating. You know? And I'm saying, she is safe for two years. We're not gonna let her give all her her money to the church. And then my wife would say, man of God, you're the pastor of the church. She's 14, she will recover. But she's worked for two years. She's babysat. I mean, she's... And then we, we started to pray. My, my daughter comes to us with tears in her eyes and says to us at 16 years old, just before her 16th birthday, and she says, mom and dad, why would you stop me from doing what God has called me to do? <laughs> tears pouring down her face. And I thought, my God, if I, if I only had that kind of faith at 16, she gave all her money away. Nobody knew that, no, no, no one really knew what she had done. She came to church one day and someone just out of the blue walked up to her, said, hi, how are you? She says, fine, and they said, hey, um, give me your hand. And she lifted her hand, and they just stuck a $100 bill in her hand. I'm the father, wait, I pay for everything. We're, Put the hundred dollar bill in my I, I don't have a I don't have a hundred dollar but put that hundred dollar bill away. Quit waving it in my face. Quit test to find out how God good is. Good, 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 God is. Now, how many zeros are on? Put that away. Is that a ten? No, it's a hundred, dad. Why'd they give it to you? They said God spoke to him. It's it's my heart for the house blessing. And then one day we get a phone call. We get a phone call and someone says to us, hey, um, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to trade our, our car in because we need to get a new car, but, but we can't get a lot for it. And it's kind of a, a waste of, I mean, I, I'd rather just pay the down payment. And they said, how old is your daughter? I said 16, they said, do you care if we just give your daughter our car? I have raised her since she was born. I paid for every diaper, every, you understand what I'm saying? And so someone just shows up on her 16th birthday and leaves a car in the driveway. I wish you could, I wish you could have seen the look on her face when she found the car in the driveway. Now, to someone else, that car wasn't worth a lot of money, to my, but to my daughter, it was, it was worth double what she gave in the heart for the house offering. And then her 16th birthday came, and now she's saving money all over again. She, she needs a new bass. She's a bass player in the church, if you know Tessa, and so she'd saved uh, some money, and I'll make a long story short, so one day, uh, we have a birthday party for her, and all her friends and all her family come together. And God speaks to a lot of them. And they put in her little offering envelope. He said, don't don't bring any gifts. Just bring a little bit of $10 bill or $20. Bill. Just put it in the in the thing for her base. She's saving for a base. And um, at the end of the night, for what however this happened, whatever whatever happened at the end of the night, she went up and got on her bed and she dumped everything out on her bed. And she started to count the money. And it was five times more money than she thought she was going to get. She had the exact dollar amount that she needed to buy herself the new base. Now, I I, I just want you to hear me tonight because she's not here. She's actually outside decorating her car for trunk, trunk or treat. Um, But a, a 14 year old girl saves money for two years, puts all the money into the, into the offering. And, and, and then within a year, all the things that were in her heart came back. Now the truth is it doesn't always work that way. My my wife and I have never had an offering in our life that we have not given it. My wife and I have given in every offering in every church we've ever been in, even if I'm just a visitor, even if I'm the speaker. And sometimes we don't always see a return, but the point is, is that if we're only looking at the need, we will miss the inheritance. I want my children to learn from their father in heaven that it's not about need. It's about inheritance. God loves you and he has a plan. So my daughter has a new base and a new car. And I'm still paying for the food. (laughs) But he has a purpose for every test. It was a test for her and it was a test for us. Jesus sees the size. Number three, he sees the size of every single detail of everything that we go through. He sees the size of the problem. He walks up to Philip and and he has a conversation and they're looking at him like, like, do you not understand what's going on here? He sees the size and detail. What happens is that when there's a problem, when there's a challenge, we start to think that God doesn't understand it. Can you imagine us believing that God doesn't understand what we're going through? First of all, we tend to think that he doesn't see the size of our problem. Philip said to him, do you realize it would take a half a year's wage to buy everybody just one bite of food? There's 15,000 people here, right? And then, and then secondly, another disciple says, hey, um, hey, there's a kid with some uh, barley and two small fish. How far is that going to go amongst so many? What are we going to do there? We don't have any money. And their attitude begins to change. And at the minute that their attitude begins to change... Jesus stops the conversation and he says, guys, have everybody sit down. Now, if you're the two guys and you're sort of running everything and there's 15,000 people there, could you imagine having the boss say to you, hey, there's 15,000 people that just walked in here. Can you get them all order, in order and have them all sit down? Are, are you kidding me right now? We're in the middle of an argument about food and you want me to get 15,000 people organized. And honestly, I think 14,000 of them are children under the age of four. You want me to have them all sit down? He says, I want you to have them all sit down. He sees the problem and he sees and he understands the details. But when things begin to change, our attitude begins to... Have you ever noticed that when we get a bad attitude about something, God begins to move right then? Or he waits until just after you have that attitude problem and then a miracle, then a miracle happens. Because he's dealing with us. And before Jesus always has a plan even if he hasn't shared it with us yet. He said, have them all sit down. There's plenty of grass, and they all sat down. His plan will always frustrate us. His plan will always look different. Like, that's not our plan. His plan will always put himself at the center and take us out of the center. His plan will always cultivate dependency on him. And this is what those two disciples were, going, were, were, were doing right then. Jesus gave thanks, number five, before the miracle took place. He grabbed, some, he grabbed some bread in the middle of this circumstance and he had them break bread. Now I have some bread this morning and so I want you to just, just bring me the loaf. Now this is, this is how my life has gone. So I, w- I want you to imagine... I want you to imagine there's 15,000 people and five pieces of bread. And half of, those, half of those, uh, those people are teenage boys. Come on, somebody. And so he says, I want you to break the bread. And the miracle will happen as you break it. As you pull the bread apart, something is going to happen. And then Jesus does something even more remarkable. He, he prays and he thanks the Father before the miracle takes place. So he says, Father, I just want to thank you for feeding all of these people. And, and it's really hard for us to do that because, because we, have, we don't understand supply and inheritance or need and inheritance. And so we're afraid to sometimes even pray for things because we're afraid it's not going to happen. We're so worried that if I pray for it, I'm going to look stupid. Or if I pray for it, I'm going to get my heart broken. Or if I pray for it, listen, if you pray for it, then it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that God's not in it. It just means that you're in the middle of a test. And what he's doing is he's looking to reveal himself to you in the middle of that. In the center of that. And so they take the bread. I remember when I became a Christian. And all I wanted, I remember the the prayer that I prayed. I was laying on my bed at my mom's house. And I closed my eyes and I said, Lord Jesus, I just want to have one happy day. I went to church. Then I I remember Lord saying, I don't know if anyone's ever gonna wanna marry me because I'm a mess. And one day walking by the chapel, Donna walked by me and I didn't know who she was. I didn't know who that was. And the Lord spoke to me, you should pay attention because I think you might marry her. And I said, well, Lord, she's walking the other direction. I said, I gotta see her face, is she cute? It took me about two hours to find out who her friends were and become their best friends. I remember remember when I saved money to go to Bible college and I had $1,000 from waiting tables hidden in my car up under the dash of my car. I went to church on a Sunday morning. I was going to register the next day. Somebody broke into my car and took the $1,000. But I remember going in and tithing that money that morning and putting money into the, into the bucket, then coming out into my car and there was no money left. I went to a restaurant. I hadn't met my pastors yet, but the pastor was in the restaurant. She walked up to me, she says, hey, aren't you new in the church? I said, yeah. She said, are you, uh, um, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to go to Bible college, but I had all my money stolen this morning. She said, you did? I said, yeah, but I, I, had, I had enough to tithe. She says, that's okay. She said, I'm gonna pay for your Bible college for the first year. I remember when Donna and I got married and I made $900 a month full time. Rent was 700. A wife was 10, like thousands. And I didn't bring anything into the marriage except for tax debt. I remember sitting down and my wife, Donna and I taking the money that we had even though we didn't have enough to pay the bills, tithing first and never being without. I remember, I remember when we had uh, Kaylee, our first child, and not knowing how we were going to pay for stuff, and and just sewing and believing. I, I remember, I remember giving to young people and moving them into my house, and 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 paying for their their parking tickets and sewing into church plants, and every time that my wife and I gave out of out of our need or out of our faith, our inheritance for some reason, somehow, God as a youth. Pastor, come on, somebody. How many of you know youth pastors don't make a lot of money? We should change that, shouldn't we? We should change that. And I I remember every time that it was time to give, her and I being embarrassed because we didn't really have enough to give, but we would give anyways. And we would just begin to break bread. And we would just begin to, and you know that my wife and I, we've been married 23 years. That makes me 35 years old, amen. And we have never been without for one day. And not only have we never been without, but we've never had a moment where we didn't have some bread that we could put into someone else's basket. This is this, look, look, there, there are just times where, there's just times where, where you feel like this is not going to work, but I promise you over the long haul that when you give, God knows who you are and He knows what you need, and you have an inheritance that is available to you. But the miracle takes place in the breaking of the bread, not in putting the bread and hoarding it and taking it back to, to feed ourselves. This is the picture of the church. This is what God is to you and me. It's not 1,000, it's not 2,000. For them, it was 15,000 people. And then I want you to look at what happened. The Bible says that at the end, they had so much left over that they filled 12 baskets. And there's a stewardship issue here because God's not a spender. God's a saver. He said, take some, take 12 baskets and put it up. Do you mean that Jesus would actually uh, take care of my need and then give me some excess so that I could put some away in my savings account and that I could actually save some money next year for the very first time? Yeah, you can. But if you believe in the the world economy, if you believe in the the governmental economy and not God's economy, I promise you, you're going to end up being either broke or unfulfilled, one or the other. And you will never understand what it's like to give because it is better to give than to receive. We started out in our marriage with one piece of bread and I'm just here to tell you this morning, uh, that we have never been without, we have never given. My wife and I are going to give in this offering and we're going to believe God that he's going to take care of us. We are believers in the principle, the loaf and the fish. And then there were two miracles that took place. I want you to all stand to your feet right now as I wrap this up. I want you to get your uh, heart for the house offering ready. I'd like you to take the card out from behind the seat if you do not have one. There's a pen there. And I, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm gonna ask you to, I'm going to ask you to take a moment here and pray about what God would have you give this year. And I I want you to fill out the card, put it in the offering bucket. I want you to go ahead and I want you to, uh, to sow this year what the Lord's speaking to you to sow. And then we're gonna pray for you. But two miracles took place. The first miracle that took place is that everybody got to eat, but that was not the most important miracle of the day. The most important miracle of the day was the only person who showed up with their lunch, not only got to have their lunch, but got to watch 15,000 people eat his lunch. There is nothing more powerful than watching people be fed and sustained off of what we've given. I watch you can imagine this little boy in heaven what he's his story that he's telling right now in heaven I showed up with my lunch bag and 15,000 people got fed That's my lunch. 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 That's my lunch, That's my lunch everybody. Y'all eat my lunch right now. Okay, did, and, and I call this message, did I do that? Because I've always pictured this, this young boy thinking, did I, did I do that, was that my lunch? Are you still eating my lunch? 15,000 people eating my lunch? So the miracle is that we all get fed, but the other miracle is that we get to have the privilege and the honor of seeing God do miracles with what we have. And I'm telling you, I don't think there's anything that I, I would want more for you than for you to be able to see miracles God, do miracles with what you have. I'm not asking you to be foolish with your finances. I'm asking you to sow into the church, into the house that you belong to. If you're visiting today, it's not for you. Feel free to give, but we're not. This is for the family. Now, I'd like you to bow your heads just for a moment, and I'd like you to pray with me. Father, I'm so grateful today for everything that you're doing. And Jesus, I, I am overwhelmed with the last four years, and each year we take the special offering, And each year you're faithful. We're able to do some wonderful things. So Father, today I love you. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to each person here about what you're speaking to them, about what they can sow this year. Father, I pray that every person that calls the Pearl Church their home would sow something. And I pray that, Lord, together, that we would be like that little boy. We would be like that little boy that gets to sow And see people blessed and anointed. Jesus helped because we sowed. And so today, Father, I pray that as we we give, you would anoint it and multiply it in the name of Jesus. Lord, Lord, I love you so much. We ask you, Father, to just bless it. Now, church, pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are my bread. You are my sustenance. And today, Jesus, we give this offering to you. May it result in many souls, many lives. Father, I thank you for the inheritance that I have in Christ, in Jesus' name.